Mainstream, our podcast. Here are a couple announcements about what is happening with us in the upcoming weeks. Next week, we are hosting our potluck for our interactive service on the first Sunday of the month, and we are changing the theme up. For February, you will be assigned a type of food based on your last name. So if your last name starts with the letter A to L, please bring a hearty soup or buns. If your last name starts with the letter M through Z, we would love if you could bring a pie of your choice. Now, cookies are also an option if pie is not your jam. We look forward to gathering with everyone on February 4th. Also with the potlucks, we have been implementing allergen cards to describe your dish and what's in it. Hospitality would love to hear your feedback on whether you find these helpful or if you think they could be improved. I for one appreciate them because sometimes you can't tell what a potluck dish is just by looking at it. A big thank you to our hospitality team and our accessibility committee for their hard work each and every Sunday. On February 10th, Christian de la Luna will be hosted for a night of music, food, and a silent auction to raise money for a Syrian refugee family to come to Edmonton by Bonnie Dune Refugee Sponsorship Group. Tickets are $30 online and at the door of Bonnie Dune Community League Hall. Doors open at 7. You can purchase your tickets online through the link in Currents or by looking at the events calendar on our website. If you would like to donate to the Bonnie Dune Refugee Sponsorship Group independent of the event, you can also find that information via the link for tickets. Social Justice Book Club is reading Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. A meeting to discuss the book will be held over lunch after the service on February 25th. As always, you can email melissa at m-a-l-i-s-s-a at rivercommunity.ca to RSVP for lunch, and you can usually find a copy of our current read at our Sunday services. This episode is the second of two God in the Movies series, and we will not be including all the clips from the original recording. Before we turn it over to Paul, here is Gail to lead the send-off to our Zambia team who will be leaving for Madzamoyo in just a few days. So um, we recognize there's a bunch of people that have been joining us lately that might not know a whole lot about our Zambia partnership. So just a little bit of background. The river has had a years-long partnership with with Zambia. Um, There have been lots of changes over the years in terms of who our partners were and the things that we did. There have been many ups and some downs in that partnership, but um, we've been faithfully connected with each other. So the group that we're partnered with in Zambia is um, a community in eastern Zambia called Madzamoyo. And the Madzamoyo community has a numerous rural villages within it that we are connected with. Most of the people who live in the area are subsistence farmers. So basically what that means is that they grow a crop one year and they hope to have enough food to last until the following year and maybe a little bit actually to maybe sell and generate some income as well. The communities are strong communities filled with resilient, resourceful and creative people. They're friendly and hospitable. So our partnership with them is through World Renew, an organization of the Christian Reformed Church, and then on the ground with a church called the Reformed Church of Zambia. So we support the work that World Renew does in various different areas. Um, Some of that is in agriculture or in food and nutrition or in education or savings and loans programs. It all depends on what the current needs are in the community. 
So we provide support and encouragement to sort of come alongside the programs and the personnel that are currently working on the ground. So you may have heard the saying, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, or teach a man to fish and he'll live for a lifetime. I think that that, people often say that that's the thing, way we should be thinking about it, but I think that there's an error there because what that assumes is that the person doesn't already know how to fish. Right? That we somehow, from North America, need to come and teach them in Zambia how to fish. Well, they already know how to fish. They know how to fish way better than we do in the Zambian culture. Instead, maybe what they need is a fishing rod. And we can potentially provide a fishing rod for them. Or maybe we provide them with a loan for a fishing rod that they then will pay back to the community after they have caught their fish. Or maybe it's they need some sunflower seeds. So we will, through the programs there, they will get a sunflower seed loan that they can plant the sunflower seeds and then come back the next year. So the idea is that we don't need to teach them how to fish. They already know that. So we come alongside and provide some support. So, and our support follows their lead, depending what they determine and identify as their needs. So when we go to Zambia, as we're going to have a team going first, we, if you notice, we're, we're careful in our language, we don't call it a missions trip. Because missions trips, if you think about what that means in your own mind, um, we're not going to tell the people about Jesus. They could actually tell us things about Jesus in terms of their commitment. But I like to think of the trips that we do to Zambia instead of like a pilgrimage. For a pilgrimage, I think of what it is, it's the idea of going to another part of the world to learn about what God is up to in that place. So that's kind of what we see our trips of Zambia are. So they're places that we are building relationships, we're learning from each other. The group that is there will spend lots of time visiting villages, walking through fields, looking at piggeries. Isn't that a funny word, piggeries? They, they'll visit piggeries, they'll look at chickens, all the different projects that are going on in these villages that in some ways are supported by the groups that we are connected with. When they, they might hear stories of gender-based violence training that the community has gone through and the changes that it's making. They might hear about the village savings and loans programs that we support with resources and training. And they'll probably be shown some incredible hospitality where they will be treated to some Zambian singing and dancing, a meal, which will probably involve some village chicken, as they call it, some greens, some shima, hopefully not okra. That stuff is, is bad. So, so there'll be a time of um, just engaging and relationship building. So if you would like more information about the Zambia Partnership, you can talk to um, any of the people who I'm going to ask to stand right now or wave, people who have been to Zambia with the river. So if you can just uh, stand or raise your hand. So I'm going to ask those people also just to come forward now because we're going to pray for our Zambia team. So if uh, the people who are going to Zambia this year can come and just sort of stand up in front those of us that have been to Zambia before can sort of stand around them and uh, lay hands on. So this year we have Dale and Karen and Barry and Melissa are our team. So 
Those of you that are um, still sitting in the chairs, if you can, as we pray for them, if you can just raise your hand and um, bless them. Those of you that are up here, you can lay a hand on the people that are here or lay a hand on a hand. So let's pray. We thank you, God, for, um, for just the, the people who are willing to take time out of their lives to go to Zambia this year. We thank you so much for their willingness to do that. We pray for safety for them as they go, all the different travel and the planes and the vehicles, all those different things. There's lots of potential there for, for all sorts of challenges. So we just pray for smooth travel. We pray for deepening of relationships that, uh, between the team itself, but also with the Zambians as well. We thank you so much for our Zambian partners, those that are um, living in the villages, those that are working with them. And we pray that through the work of our team, that our team will be encouraged, that they will see some new things about who you are and the way that you're working in the world, and that also the Zambian partners will be encouraged by, by our presence there as well. So we just thank you so much for this partnership, for the years of it, for the changes that we've seen both in the river and also in our communities in Zambia. And we just give you praise and thanks. Amen. Barbie changed everything. Then she changed it all again. All of these women are Barbie, and Barbie is all of these women. She might have started out as just a lady in a bathing suit, but she became so much more. She has her own money, her own house, her own car, her own career. Because Barbie can be anything, women can be anything. And this has been reflected back onto the little girls of today in the real world. Girls can grow into women who can achieve everything and anything they set their mind to. Thanks to Barbie, all problems of feminism and equal rights have been solved. So glad that's all been taken care of, eh? It's great to know that we've got equal rights all figured out, am I right? That's right. So throughout history, friends, we have had it all figured out so many times. And below the surface of the earth, all across the globe, lies evidence of civilizations which were at one time empires that are now known only by their artifacts and stories which have been handed down through generations. And we, when we read history like the biblical accounts that we have of the nation of Israel, we see great examples of the ways in which human nature can create in us a sense of infallibility or self-reliance. I don't think it's easy for us as humans to admit that we might not always know best. They say that history is the best teacher. And even if we're not always the best students, it can be humbling to turn through the pages of Israel's history from our seat in the modern age. Israel is the namesake of Abraham's grandson, who bore the covenant that was made with God, who promised to bless those who bless you, and they who dishonor you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when we read a promise like this from the God of the universe, it can be hard to imagine that 
anyone would ever stray from being in right relationship with their covenant maker. As we read through much of the Old Testament, we learn that Israel moved through many seasons of faithfulness and faithlessness, wrestling with their ability to remain true to the God who promised to bless them. They struggled to obey the commands that were handed down to them by their leaders, even though great ones like Moses and Joshua were the hands of God's rescue and provision for them. Once the generation who served under Joshua had passed on, Israel wandered from God. And in order to draw Israel back to faithfulness, God raised up judges. Each of these judges succeeded in bringing Israel's focus back to the God who loved them. However, Israel always wandered again. Such is human nature, I suppose. Such is the nature of a God who never stops pursuing never stops finding a way to draw us back into right relationship. The stories of the judges truly reflect the ebb and flow of our relationship with God throughout all of history as people and as individuals. Some might view Israel's lack of capacity to remain checked in an exhausting, painful series of events. And if we look at these stories from God's perspective, we can be reminded of the limitlessness of the grace that is our inheritance, as that same covenant offered to Abraham extends to us today. But getting ahead of myself, we're talking about the judges, specifically the judge that I was reminded of when I watched the Barbie movie. Can you guess who it might be? So look how everybody comes out to Barbie's dream house, where she can be found every night because every night is girls' night. If you want time with Barbie, you know exactly where to go. And boy, oh boy, do people go. Now, there was a judge who held court in a very similar way to Barbie. The Bible isn't clear about their dance moves or how great their parties were, but this judge was sought out for wisdom and could be found not in a dream house, but under a palm. Can you think of who it is? Any guesses? It's Deborah. Judge Deborah whose story can be found in Judges chapter 4. Now, Deborah's story begins in a very familiar way. where We read that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. After Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hegeim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. I like to imagine the author of Judges writing this passage with a bit of an inflection in their voice. Like, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. When will they ever learn? When will we ever learn? And as God does, God once again demonstrated covenant faithfulness with Israel by raising up a wise leader. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And my bet is it was called the palm of Deborah after Deborah used to sit under it. But how crazy would it be if it had always been called the Palm of Deborah? And she was like, this is super convenient. I'll just put my picnic blanket here. 
Anyway, now <laughs> the judges, they differed from the prophets in some important ways. While the prophets heard from God and offered God's words to Israel by way of inspiration and direction or warning or visions of things to come, judges were, asked, were tasked with ensuring that justice was done. They were tasked with ensuring that the law was obeyed and that in law-keeping, Israel's relationship with God was protected. The account that we read of Deborah carries with it a certain prophetic undertone. Remember, Deborah was a prophetess. Now, Sisera, King's, King Jabin's commander, had been oppressing Israel for 20 years. And why? Because there was a rift. This relationship between God and Israel, which is protected by law-keeping, had been broken. And God speaks into this mess to advise exactly how to clean it up. Now, in Barbie land, something is broken too. And the evidence is becoming more and more clear every day. So let's see what's happening and what Barbie learns about it. You know, you're going to have to visit Weird Barbie. I have never had to visit Weird Barbie. That's because you've never malfunctioned. I heard that she used to be the most beautiful Barbie of all, but then... Someone played with her too hard in the real world. And now she's fated to an eternity of making other Barbies perfect while falling more and more into disrepair herself. That and we all call her weird Barbie both behind her back and also to her face. She's so weird. So should it, whoa. So what'll it be then? You can go back to your regular life and forget it ever happened. Or you can know the truth about the universe. Tad problematic that in this, in our, in our metaphor, God is weird Barbie. A journey past that. So Barbie is being sent on a quest, be healed, to set things right so that the rift between Barbie land and the real world can be healed. And the perfect life that the Barbies and Kens, and if you know it, one Allen have been living can be restored. Is this whole thing ringing true as a metaphor for you? What rifts can you think of that need to be healed in our world, the real world, or between our world and the kingdom of heaven. How do you suppose healing could happen? Do you think God speaks into our lives today with words of wisdom about how we can be restored into right relationship? It certainly happened in Deborah's case. Although in this account, God has spoken to the commander of Israel's army. Somehow, Deborah knows this, and she wastes no time putting God's commands into action. She sent and summoned for Barak, the Israel Abinuam from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of the people of Naphtali, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Jabin's army and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general, and I will give him to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, you parents of him, into your hand. I don't know if any of you about an inju- had this experience where your kid comes home from school and tells you about an injustice they've experienced. Maybe their teacher treated them unfairly or they've had a bullying issue or maybe they've caused some kind of a harm that they need to offer amends for. And as parents, we tend to talk kids through situations like this. We give them the tools they need to face their problems for their kids and we send them back to address them on their own. It's how good parents empower talked while still offering the support that they need. Sometimes, though, even after we've tasked of us, encouraged and prepared, our kids are still afraid. And what did they... Barack is staring. Will you please 
Come with me. Now, Ben's army down the barrel of 900 chariots in a valley. Remember, they're meeting Jabin's army in, near the river Kishon. And God has spoken barely, very clearly to him about what he is to do. Deborah reminds Barak that he's being sent out to address the problem. And what do you suppose he asks of Deborah? Will you please come with me? And I absolutely love this. And I, I want to speak specifically to the guys in the room for a second, myself included. Listen, if you've seen the movie, you know that Ken's job is beach. He doesn't have a job at the beach. His job is just beach. So if Ken's job is beach, Barack's job is army. He's got a job to do, and it's God who has told him to do it. And I think that the lesson that we draw out of this moment could be, be a man, do the thing that God has asked you to do. Not be missing a gem, if that's what we took from this interaction. Being, take it into a, a Mars and Venus thing, but I know a lot of guys who thrive on the idea of a home or a provider, a rescuer, a leader, the head of something or other, whether it's thoughts over the idea. And as guys, sometimes we tie ourselves in knots in the, that we might not be sufficient on our own to handle ourselves in those roles that are coded male in our society. And for many of us, the lessons of our lives has been that if we can't do it on our own, we have failed. But repeat after me, real men ask for help. Oh, proud of you boys. Good job. Whether it's from a friend or a partner or a pastor, a therapist, or anyone else, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for support. And Barack, friends, is a real man. Listen to his response to Deborah. Barack said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, Your will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to you. And Deborah, glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Naphtali chose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out, went up with him. Now, Barbie, rather than asking for help, she decides that this is a mission that she would rather embark on alone. Oh, boy. So, all of our heroes have headed off to meet their adversaries with their helpers. How will they fare? Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, or Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. And had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go up before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Excuse me, have you seen a group of women on wheels? Actually, yeah, there was a blonde brunette and a tween. They rollerbladed in that direction. Oh, well. First step is always rollerblading. 
Excuse me, sir? They've gone to Barbie Land. Oh, no. And she's brought humans there with her. This could mean extremely weird things for our world. Like what? Nothing any of our collective imaginations could ever dream of. Like a podcast hosted by two wise trees or a choir of 2,000 young fathers. Not even close. We've got to get to Barbie Land. Go, find some planes now. Just pick a direction and run. So just like Barbie has confounded the Mattel executives, Barack has won the battle against Jabin's army. But have our heroes won their respective wars? Didn't Deborah promise, that Barack, promise Barack that this would all end when the Lord sold Sisera into the hands of a woman? That must be Deborah, right? I sure hope Sisera doesn't end up fleeing away on foot. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Oh, jeez, man. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army from Harasheth Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, who we read about earlier. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. She covered him with a rug, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. Wait, Sisera has fled away to the home of a Kenite woman, and he has the audacity to take over her home and ask her to bring me a drink. What a bossy guy. What he's doing here is tantamount to walking into a friend's house, not even a friend, like a friend of a friend, lying down in their guest bedroom and shouting, beer me down the hall. Like, What kind of a guy would do this kind of a thing? So Ken has undergone the magical transformation that takes place when a bro realizes he's got this to the nth degree. Like Sisera backed by 900 chariots, Ken backed by about 900 Kens, but not Alan, he does not like that, has created his own empire and has himself fled the scene of the battle and he's taken refuge in Barbie's dream house where there are not skins of milk, but there are brewski beers aplenty. So what about JL? What about her dream house? Like Ken, Sisera has taken it over too. And like the Barbies, JL seems to have caved to his demands. Again, didn't Deborah promise that Sisera would be delivered into the hands of a woman? But it wasn't Deborah, and JL is now offering him refuge. Where is a woman with the courage to stand up to this kind of Kennergy? You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. <laughs> like, you have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you wanna be thin. You have to say you wanna be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. 
You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard, it's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing a woman, then I don't even know. Meet Gloria, friends. Is this the true hero of Barbie Land? Remember the sad girl whose humanness was causing the rift in Barbie Land? Well, that girl was not a girl at all. She's a woman named Gloria who has loved Barbie for her whole life. She's grown up in a world, an empire, which has come to rule in Barbie Land, just like Jabin has come to rule in Israel. And Gloria has had it with the way things are. Like JL, Gloria is an outsider. And just as JL is the wife of a man who's allied with the enemies of Israel, Gloria works closely with Mattel's CEO. And while she isn't complicit in the patriarchy that seems to have invaded Barbie land, she understands it well. Like JL, whose husband has pitched his tent far away, Gloria is someone who is removed from the community, and yet, because of her knowledge and experience, she understands exactly what it takes to set things right. Can JL do what it takes too? Does she have the courage to take a stand? I'm just going to issue a quick content warning on this next piece of scripture. If you're a little, if you're a little squeamish, plug your ears. So Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to Sisera and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Feels a little redundant, but that's what it says. So, so I guess that's a yes. She's got the courage to take a stand. And I'm very glad that the director of Barbie, Greta Gerwig, didn't work a scene like that into this movie. But if the Barbies aren't murdering the Kens in their sleep, how do they win Barbie Land back? Let's find out. You play on their egos and their petty jealousies and you turn them against each other. One second. While they're fighting, we take back Barbie Land. Does the title of long-term distance casual low-commitment girlfriend mean nothing? 
<laughs> oh, the only kind of death that hurts more than a tent peg through the temple. The death of the ego. Save your money at Canadian Tire, friends. As Proverbs 16, 18 teaches us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come in, and I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her. He went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg still in his temple. Like a Steve Martin bit. <clears throat> what a fall both the Kens and Sisera experienced at the hands of brilliant women who knew just how to hit their mark. And for both the Barbies and Israel, these victories were the beginning of a full restoration of peace in their land. Yeah, are we supposed to vote today? What? Change the Constitution. Oh, that was today, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, ladies, let's do this. All those in favor of letting Barbie Land be Barbie Land, say aye. So on that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. And so order and peace is restored. In Barbie land, in Israel, relationships are beginning to mend between the Barbies and the Kens, just as they will mend between God and God's covenant people. But is that all there is to the story? Is that all our lives are? Just a movement in and out of right relationship with God? Where we wander and return? If so, there doesn't seem to be much hope in that story. Or is our very nature to wander a gift in itself? Perhaps it is in our wandering that we're offered the opportunities we need to be reminded of our true nature. In 1758, Robert Robertson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, among whose words are these, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's a hymn that reminds us of our absolute dependence on God to set things right with us and not the other way around. God has built into us this capacity to wander, to choose our own path, and to find our way back home. This is Israel's story. And it's the story of every child of the covenant. Being a human can be pretty uncomfortable. I know. Humans make things up like patriarchy and Barbie just to deal with how uncomfortable it is. I understand that. And then you die. <laughs> Do you give me permission to 
become human? You don't need my permission. But you're the creator. You Don't you control me? I can't control you. This exchange between Barbie and her creator, Ruth Handler, is a beautiful reminder of the way that covenant God made with Abraham extends to us today. As a wise man once taught us here at the river, we are blessed. There we go. Good job. Because the promise of God is not about a law that governs our lives so that we are dolls who exist only to carry out the whims of our creator's imagination. We're created with freedom in mind from the very beginning. The Apostle Paul follows a conversation about this very covenant in the book of Galatians with this statement. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And how are we enfolded into this promise, this covenant, this freedom? How is this gift of grace extended to us? Some of Barbie's final words to her creator before she transforms into a human are these. So being human is not something I need to ask for or even want. It's something that I just discover I am. There's no magic trick. There's no test to pass. When God calls us into relationship, we are covenant children forever. Prone to wander though we may be, we can always find our way back home. So as you press into your humanness, your freedom, and your identity as a covenant child of God, friends, may you discover all that you are in the eyes of a God who has redeemed and reclaimed and restored you to right relationship with your creator. We pray for a moment. God, thank you for finding us. Thank you for never stopping until our relationship with you is restored. Thank you for creating us as wanderers and for always allowing us to come back home. God, we're so grateful for your grace for community, most of all for your love, which is never ending. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this recording. Just a reminder that you can find our website at rivercommunity.ca. There you can find our events calendar with information about upcoming messages and gatherings, or sign up for currents. Feel free to send us a message on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Our services start 10 o'clock Sunday mornings, and you are welcome to come early for coffee, tea, and bagels. Have a great week. Bye-bye.